Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot goes well with both red and white and is perfect with a workout of your choice. Our co-hosts are on both coasts and they have all of NBA Nation covered. Adam Stanko in the Bay Area and Noah Kozlov in the Big Apple. Adam, you're making waves. What are you doing? <laughs> I, I see the tweets last week about Zion and not hiring an agent and going back to Duke. And of course, I continue reading and, and I know where you're coming from, just pointing out facts. And then all of a sudden... I see it on CBS Sports Twitter feed, and then there are infographics made with your tweet there. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, that's a good question. No, I, I was just trying to lay it out for people. I was stunned by the idea that Zion Williamson has not signed with an agent right now. Well, let's, and let's, I, let's make it clear, because he might sign by the time this that, comes that out. That is we're, true, we're and I expect that to happen. On Tuesday morning. Yes, yes. But still... By May 21st, he had not, uh, the morning of May 21st, he had not signed by an agent, signed with an agent. And so I had pointed that out. I thought it was one of the more fascinating stories in all of basketball. I mean, here's this guy that has become this larger than life figure. And I ended up going on to explain that uh, if he had an agent, an agent could control the narrative, which then turned into the narrative being that this guy might actually leave uh, this the, 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 like might go back to school and return to Duke for his sophomore year. And people were running with this story and they were using my original tweet saying <laughs> he didn't have an agent to back up this, this premise. But I mean, obviously no, it makes no sense. The reason guys leave early so that everyone is clear. The reason that people even leave, they would leave out of high school. And the reason the one and done is a one and done is because guys want to get to that second contract as quickly as possible. And everyone pushes you to do so, so that you get more money in your pocket. So all the people that say he lost endorsement money because he's not in New York or L.A., I would say, well, he's going to lose a ton of money if he waits a year to get that second contract, which most people expect will be a max deal. Yeah, I mean, it was never an option for him to go back to college. No. I, mean, <laughs> I think it was a ride that it went from when he got hurt. Oh, he should never play in college again to now that he's the Pelicans get the number one pick. Oh, you know what? Maybe he should go back to college. But I don't think anybody who said that or even made light of that is someone that I would take seriously anyway. We will get into, speaking of messes, the Lakers situation with <laughs> ESPN's Om Young Masuk in a bit. But first, time to hit the spread. You know, one of these days, just do the spread on how much we love all the other podcasts on this network. So since we're not going to do that today, I'll just acknowledge all of those. The Mike Wise Show, you had Jay Adande, the great journalist who could also talk about this Lakers situation. 
had him on this week, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt, and then the Pure Hoop Show with Eric Newman and BJ Armstrong, and us. And we'll get into that other catch-and-shoot later on. Trust me, I haven't forgotten. <laughs> the, the spread today isn't about the Warriors going to their fifth straight finals or what's going to happen in Bucks raptors but has to do with what's going to happen with Kawhi Leonard. And, and the two of us were talking this week, and we thought this would be an interesting conversation about Kawhi Leonard's one of the best players in the game. And we seem to all assume that Kawhi, that, that Kevin Durant is headed to the Lake, or is headed to the Knicks, so that we know what he's doing, and that when LeBron was leaving, that he was going to the Lakers. We all knew where he wanted to go, but Kawhi is such an enigma that we have no idea. And it's frustrating for some. I think it's pretty awesome in this day and age that we don't just know that it is a mystery, and we have no idea what is going to happen with Kawhi next season if they make it to the NBA Finals, if they lose now, or even if he had missed that shot against the 76ers. No, all those things are, are right on. And, you know, I said the dagger for the Sixers in, in that shot and in losing that series was that not only are the Sixers bumped out, but every round that Kawhi goes a little further, you had to imagine that it becomes a better chance that this guy ends up staying in Toronto with with every round that he goes. So now being in the Eastern Conference Finals, if he doesn't get to the NBA Finals, where does that leave things? And I think everything was sparked sort of our discussion on the last podcast with um, Toronto native, now lives in Florida, uh, Mark Jones, who you know talked about the relationship between Kawhi and, and the city of Toronto and the fans there, those rabid fans that are just so great for the NBA. I just have to wonder... Like he said that they're almost okay with him being one of the greatest, maybe the greatest one year rental of all time. Um, I, I don't know what his relationship is like with the city and how much he enjoys it because you never know with Kawhi and even watching him play. I don't know how much he's like embraced by his teammates. Like even when he made the shot in game seven and he was screaming about it and you saw this just unbridled passion come out that you just don't see him show any emotion and his teammates were hugging him and, and he was so enthusiastic. Like, I sort of felt good for him and for them because I feel like it's just been an awkward relationship all year, even though he's been so brilliant. Yeah, my, my question is, though, so, yes, you would think that there'd be a better chance of Kawhi staying with each win and as far as they advance in the playoffs. But what is a better chance? Like, every time is it 1%? more right. that he'll stay like we we don't we don't know I mean, we could say oh well now it should be at 50 at 50 chance but we but we don't but we don't know and then it also i think leads us these days because we don't know because the mystery is out there and there's so much information all the time about everybody but not Kawhi, is to just assume that we know all right well Kawhi's just Kawhi's not that great of a guy but the fact is we don't know anything about Kawhi. And, 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 nobody, and nobody does. Some claim that they do, but we really don't. And I'm actually, I'm okay with that. And actually, I'm, I'm glad that like New Balance embraced that, and that's where they went with their, mm -hmm. with their first campaign with him, and that, that he's the face of this thing, of, uh, of a brand that nobody knows anything about their, their basketball side. But we don't, we don't know what, a, what is a, a better chance. He says he wants to win. He, he wants, he'll play anywhere where, where he's got the best chance of winning. 
All right, well, then we get into, well, do the Raptors have a better chance of winning next year with Kawhi than the Clippers do? Well, maybe that depends on, is Kevin Durant still out West? So many, so many moving pieces, and it all comes down to we, we don't know. But also, I think it's the greater conversation of when players say, I want to go here because I had the best chance of winning, are they really telling the truth? Right. And, and, and that, that, to me, is a wrinkle. Well, and Noah, I mean, we don't get to hear authenticity a lot. And, the, the, you know, off the top, we talk about Zion Williamson and, and people running with this story about he doesn't want to be in New Orleans and how could he change, you know, his ability to be there and, and uh, manipulate the whole draft and, and why do we even have a lottery and, you know, guys can do this. And I'm like, this is so unfair. Zion never said he didn't want to go to New Orleans. No one in his camp said that. But we run with these stories. And now, you know, Kawhi, I just think, is so unusual. I mean, you're around a lot of NBA guys, Noah, and I don't just mean front office people or media people. I'm talking about NBA players, too. I mean, how rare is it for a guy to, to be this quiet? And, and for people not to even understand him or to not uh, reveal what his personality is. How rare is this? In the well, league? these days it's extremely rare because everyone's on social media and he's not. So it's, I mean, I almost compare it to just like friends that you haven't really spoken to in years, but you feel right. like you know a lot about them. Like my wife, we'll get into this later on too, because it's her birthday tomorrow, and May is just a mess with Mother's Day and birthdays. Happy birthday, Marissa. Uh, I know. I got to do something today. I'm, I'm actually, for the first time, I'm really behind. I'm really behind <laughs> on it. Um, like she's not on social media. So when she sees somebody, she doesn't know everything that's already happened in their lives. With these professional athletes, Adam, we, we feel like we know everything because they're putting it out there on social media. But yes. Just because they put it out on social media doesn't mean that we really know them. Like we don't, we don't know Kyrie Irving based on what he puts out on social media. I feel like we know Kyrie Irving because of the nonsense that comes out of his mouth when he speaks. Kawhi doesn't do any of that, and that yes. and that could that's the the frustrating part. It, it yeah, frustrating, and I think in a in a way that's not bad. No, I it, listen. It's just different. That's all that it is. It's different, and and honestly, that's why. You know, our our producer Bruce Bernstein points out that Kawhi is is the one guy that sort of didn't buy into the to the Spurs, Greg Popovich. Um, you know, drink that that Kool Aid. I mean, you talk about a winning culture. I mean, where can you go that's going to give you a better shot to win than what R.C. Buford and and Greg Popovich are going to put out in front of you? But he was frustrated because the Spurs like to keep everything insular, and they they like to have their medical staff take care of medical issues. They like to make sure that you're working out at the Spurs facility, that you're working out specific uh, plans that the Spurs have in place, that it's very strict under their control, and Kawhi wasn't necessarily like that. He wanted a second opinion medically, and we could argue whether that's the right move or the wrong move, but the truth is it was just different. And now to see where he's going to end up in free agency, I really have no idea. I've heard the Clippers are, are one of the really likely destinations for him. But, Noah, I wouldn't be that shocked if he ends up anywhere. Like, I, I think anything yeah, is, I. is available. I, that's why I, yeah, that's why I think it's a fool's errand to even predict. I mean, that's, that's the whole point of this conversation is that we have no idea where he's going. And, and, it's, no. not, and it's not based on any intel except the – 
Well, he's from California, and he likes and he likes warm weather. But we haven't said and we haven't heard anything. Kawhi hasn't like tweeted out snowflakes this year, like in right. you know in April when it's cold in Toronto. So we don't you know does he and what would that mean? Does he like the cold? Does he not like the cold? I, I don't know. We we really we we don't know. And and players who say I'm I want to go somewhere where I have the best chance of winning, I would. I would believe that from Kawhi. Yes. But then you could take the flip side and say, well, he left San Antonio. Why would he, why would he leave that culture? <laughs> we could just keep going. We could keep going back and forth on this because there are other players like Kevin Durant who will likely say, you know, and, and all word is that he's, that he's headed to the Knicks mm-hmm. that the, that all I want to do is play basketball, focus on basketball. All right, well, then you're going to the biggest gong show in the NBA, in the Knicks. So you, yeah. can't, so you can't use that. So now you're going to go back on what you said a few years ago, but I just, I just want to go and, and, and hoop. I just, I just want to hoop. I just want to hoop. And that's why he wants to go and say words. But, yeah, and if you want to win, that's, that's, that's where you go. You can't talk about culture in different places because who really has – who really has a solidified culture? And does, and does culture mean because you've already you've always won and you have that culture, or it's because of the the staff and and the ownership? Or it's an American city? I mean, Noah, the 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 other the thing I say all the time is that NBA players today they chase legacy. They don't chase rings anymore. They're past that stage. The money is so great that now it's their legacy. Where do we place Kevin Durant all time? He knows that he's not going to be on that goat list, that that short list for the greatest of all time, unless he leaves, unless he leaves uh, Golden State. And I think that you talk about um, Kawhi Leonard, and I don't know that he's chasing a legacy. I, I know Kyrie Irving is. He wants to be placed amongst the greats, and he's talked about it. And what does he have to do to navigate his situation to be that yeah, way? All he does is talk. That's all he does is talk about it. But you, but but when it comes to Kawhi, we have no idea what is his uh, motivating factor. What do you where do you stand on the winning breeds culture or chemistry breeds winning? Is it a one shoe fits all? Uh, I think different organizations are set up differently, and I think in today's in today's NBA, we talk all the time about it being a superstars league, and they control the league and where they go and all that. I think it's become an executives league, and and I think that executives control the culture, and 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 that's determined by they they can determine wins and losses short-term, long-term, what have you. And you look around, the best executives in the league always get themselves in favorable positions regarding the cap. They get themselves in great positions in terms of who they draft, regardless of where they're picking. And whether whether you're talking Bob Myers or R.C. Buford or Daryl Morey or, you know, Sam Presti uh, and, of course, Danny Ainge, like all these guys are just elite at, crafting their team, having short-term and long-term vision. And I think, I think when you talk culture, I think it all starts with what the basketball executives do. And that's why I think New Orleans actually is in such a good spot right now because not just that, yeah, sure, they got the number one pick, 
but also because David Griffin, I feel a lot more comfortable with than someone else leading that charge. Right, and and then you bring in Trajan Langdon, who, and and this is another good culture spot from you bring him in from the Brooklyn Nets, and the Brooklyn Nets coming out of with with Sean Marks coming from the Spurs culture, from the Spurs front office with Pop and and R.C. Buford, and they haven't won anything yet. They've had great yeah. improvements over the past few years, and they've put themselves in a position to land a free agent because of what they've built, even when they haven't been a contender. And that's significant. Absolutely. It's kind of like, it's kind of like what the Sixers did. Even when, even when the Sixers were awful, Brett, Brett Brown stood for something. And Brett Brown was almost like a sympathetic figure. And that guys were willing to end up going there. And then, you know, of course, they, they got a bunch through the draft. But Philadelphia seemed like a destination. I don't know about, we'll see how, how long that lasts. But, right. but, culture, but cultures are different. But I also don't think that – I think players themselves have and, – and, and rightfully so, they have such big egos and think so highly of themselves as basketball players that they think, well, you know what, no matter what the culture is there, like with the Knicks, for example, I can change that. Just because oh, yeah. I'm going I'm to be on the team and we'll win and the roar of the crowd, I'll change it. And you know what's funny, Noah, is usually – they do change culture, and they do it with unintended consequences of signing one-year deals, you know, and things like that, or keeping everyone in uh, the dark about their free agency plans. So they do change culture in a lot of cases, and they do it in a negative way, even though that's not their given intention. That was dope. Oh! Right, we're getting into this. Lakers derailment with Om Young Masuk on the Lakers beat for ESPN.com. Om, before we do that, since these are all big stories every single day, every little nugget with the Lakers, what's the first big story that you broke in your career? Oh, wow. Um, I would say the first really, really big one was probably, um, this is going way back, uh, 19... I'd say it was 1999, 2000, maybe in 2000. Uh, Marcus Camby was, uh, and the Knicks were about to play the Toronto Raptors in the first round. And this is Marcus Camby's kind of first time playing against the Raptors in the playoffs and his old team. And Butch Carter was the head coach of the Toronto Raptors back then. And so Marcus, I talked to Marcus about this feature I was doing, kind of about facing the Raptors again. And he was sitting next to Latrell Sprewell in the locker room. We were up in Boston uh, before the Knicks played the uh, Celtics. And I was talking about how the Raptors had said they were going to build their franchise around Marcus Camby and John Wallace at that time. And both of them had been traded. And Marcus had kind of said most of the right things. And um, I said, well, Butch Carter said all these things. And then he kind of reneged on it. And Latrell sitting next to Marcus said, uh, he said that about you? And then all of a sudden, Marcus just went off. Marcus was like, oh, he's a liar. He's this, he's that. And so I ended up writing this story. And Butch Carter sued Marcus Camby for $5 million for a defamation of character lawsuit on the eve of the first round of the playoffs. <laughs> and as a, as a young writer, I was like kind of mortified a little bit because my name was in the lawsuit. And I had all these like New York Daily News lawyers. That's where I used to work uh, was telling me, don't do any interviews, don't talk about this, everything, because you're part of the lawsuit. But I'll never forget, like, Jeff Van Gundy and the Knicks 
loved every moment of this. They were laughing. They couldn't stop cracking up because they were like, we're getting ready to play this team in the playoffs, and their head coach is more consumed by this story about what Marcus said about him and a lawsuit than preparing his team for the playoffs. And so uh, that was kind of like the story that, that I would, uh, probably remember is probably uh, the biggest first story I wrote. All right. I know Adam and I now have a bunch of questions about this. What, uh, <laughs> what, what was the result of the lawsuit? Uh, nothing. I think I got thrown out. Um, and, uh, you know, Marcus was upset. I remember that, uh, Marcus and I had a good relationship and then I think he got upset after that. I don't know why. I mean, it was on the record. So, um, but no, you know, and the Butch Carter, I mean, I don't think he lasted much longer after that. So, uh, but the lawsuit did get thrown out. So, um, uh, you talk about relationships and I, I'm always fascinated by this, um, behind the curtain relationship between writers and uh, guys in the NBA. Um, what, how do you balance uh, maintaining a relationship and writing the stuff that, that has to be written? It's, it's difficult. It's definitely a, a juggling act. Um, you know, like Marcus and I, that, that entire season uh, leading up to that, remember, I think Marcus Scott was like their breakout performer the year before when they made the, the, their finals run, um, he and Latrell Sprewell. And so um, Marcus and I used to always talk about like WWE wrestling. We were like, we were like fans of that and video games and things like that. Love and it. so like, yeah. And, and then, but then, you know, when it came time like that, write that story, I mean, he said what he said, I had it on tape and everything, you know, like, uh, I just think he was just upset about what happened. You know, obviously he was getting ready to go into the playoffs and all of a sudden he had this massive distraction on his hands of this lawsuit. And so, um, you know, and then after that, I actually got moved on to the, the New Jersey Nets beat. Um, and then like 30 days later, Stephon Marbury was traded for Jason Kidd. And so I didn't really see the Knicks as much and I didn't see Camby as much after that. I was always with the Nets and everything and going to, you know, two NBA finals. So, um, you know, but I, our relationship changed a little bit after that, I would say. I mean, and the thing about it is you hope that um, these these players that you try to develop relationships with, that they understand, and I think the majority of them do, that as long as these stories are true, even if they don't like what the story is about, if it's if the truth is in it, then most of them will accept that and understand that. And then you hope that that eventually they'll get over whatever they're upset and that you have built enough of a relationship with these guys that they know who you are and what you're about and that you're not just some guy coming in to do a hit on them. Um, I think the the whole thing is you have to try and, you know, differentiate yourself and stand out from the pack. I mean, where I've been now, I've been in, I've worked in two cities, New York and Los Angeles, where there's a lot of media and it takes time for these guys to even know your name or to kind of know who you are. Um, I mean, right. so like, you know, that's, that's the thing is you got to try and stand out and try and develop relationships with these guys. And it's, it's harder now, I think, because a lot of these guys, you know, they're in the training room. You don't see them out um, after games. They bolt pretty fast. They've got, you know, a lot of friends and family and managers around them and things like that. So it's a little harder now um, to develop relationships with, with guys, but you just hope again, that they kind of know who you are and that they know what you're about and they know you're not shady and things like that. Uh, well, uh, we'd like to welcome uh, Marcus Camby on the podcast right here to ask you a question. <laughs> that'd be, that'd be great. I mean, I, that'd be great. I mean, every time I see Marcus now, like, and when I see Marcus, we're fine. You know what I mean? I don't think he, 
holds a grudge or anything like that. But I certainly understand his point of view. I mean, look, like even I remember the on the eve of that playoffs, I was just like, what is going on? Like my name is in a lawsuit <laughs> and everything like that. But I remember thinking like, I can't imagine like what Marcus was going through. You know what I mean? Having to go mm. back, play against the Raptors, his old team, uh, whole the whole arena is booing him and everything like that. And, uh, you know, and having that lawsuit. But, the, you know, I guess when you're caught up in the middle of it then, but then when you can look back at it, you know, years later, it was really nothing. Hey, given all your time in, in New York and L.A., um, are there is, – is it always the case where players, since there, there is so much media in both those cities, is it always the case where a player has a guy? Like, this media member is known as this player's guy. And you're and you're always trying to crack that, or is it just become accepted? Okay, well, so and so player, he's not talking to anybody else. That's his guy. Uh yeah. I mean, that is certainly possible. Um, I mean, I think you know who who develops relationship with who better than others, and what players may trust a certain person more than others. Absolutely, or not even players. It could be an executive. It could be a head coach. You know, um, GM, whatever, owner. Um, so certainly, I mean, you kind of understand that. I mean, most of the time it's, it's a relationship that's been built for a long time and it could come from another city that they, they were together in where they, you know, mm-hmm. had a long run or something like that. Um, so you, you, a lot of times you'll see writers swoop in from another, another state who covered somebody who, you know, they had a relationship from before and you just kind of know, well, you're, you're just going to brace for the fact that. There could be a big story coming because simply because that player or that owner or that executive just trusts this writer more than anyone else and is going to give them good stuff. Um, as I was doing some background for this interview, I came across, well, many interesting nuggets about you. But, uh, yeah, well, I, the, I'm not even going to ask you about you taking a date to a new edition concert, which I totally, um, I totally endorse. I, I would do the same thing. But I do want to ask you about the idea that you interned in, I just want to make sure I have this right, Baltimore, Akron, Atlanta, and Dallas before yes, working in Kansas City. How does that happen? I was a professional intern. Um, I My junior year, I started – I had an internship with the – I think it was the um, Akron Beacon Journal. And then um, my senior year, I interned at the Baltimore Sun. And then after I graduated, I couldn't get a a full-time job. So I continued to intern. And I interned um, in Dallas and Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta and Dallas, actually. I did a winter internship in Atlanta. And then I interned the following summer in Dallas. And then I finally got a full-time job in Kansas City. And is that at the point when you got that full-time job, it was that the, all right, I've made it, I'm good? No, because I wanted to cover the NBA. It was like obsessed with covering the NBA coming out of college. And so obviously you had State, no right? NBA team. Yeah, I went to Michigan State. And so um, I basically like um, was, I had sent, so, you know, there used to be this thing called the NBA Blue Book. And the NBA Blue Book has, every team and every media outlet that covers every team in that city. And I think I sent, I must've sent my application to resume to every single newspaper that covered every team in every city, even the smallest ones. Mm -hmm. And I think it was over 65 newspapers. I must've sent stuff to. And so I didn't really get many bites 
And so um, I ended up in Kansas City because uh, the sports editor there had been one of my assistants in Atlanta when I interned in Atlanta. And he actually um, let me kind of do some NBA stories whenever I would go home to Washington, D.C. I'd go to, you know, Bullets practice and write up some features and things and write as much as we could from Kansas City, um, just features and things like that. And then within one year, uh, New York came calling, and they actually had the uh, backup Knicks and Nets um, position open, um, where I got to work behind Frank Ice, the the great Frank Isola. You know, you don't, so, you don't uh, need to, you don't need to say great. You can you can just say Frank Isola. <laughs> so I got really lucky um, after one year of being in Kansas City that I got to move on to New York, and then I was in New York uh, for like almost fifteen years. Oh man, I, I just I wanted to get into Magic Johnson. And now you mentioned Frank. All right, so now I'm going to ask you an Isola question. At, w- at what point did he really become insecure? <laughs> yeah, I plead the fifth. That's my guy. That's my guy. I've known him for a long time. Uh, I worked with him from 1997 to probably uh, 2010, I think. So, um that's my guy. Like, All right, you so know, we'll he, leave him alone. We'll leave him alone. Uh, you're going to get a text, Noah. You're going to get a yeah, text. Yeah, we'll, we'll, leave, we'll leave him alone. Um, and then also one more before we go to Magic. The, uh, when you were in Akron, what years were you in Akron? And, and does this overlap at all with seeing LeBron at a young age? I was in Akron in 1994, summer of 94. So, no, I did not know about LeBron. Um, back then. Right, that was that was uh, that was even before LeBron's bar mitzvah. All right, so let's go. Let's yeah. get into let's get into Magic then. So you're a Michigan State guy. Magic's a Michigan State guy. Did that come up immediately? Oh yeah. Um, in fact, um, so when I when ESPN asked me about thinking about moving to LA, I was kind of like I've been an East Coast guy my entire life. I grew up, you know, in Silver Spring, Maryland, right outside Washington D.C. Um, worked in New York, and so I, you know, I, I loved visiting LA. I just didn't know if I wanted to live there, and so uh, the Lakers were in the lottery, and I had this feeling all along they were going to get Lonzo Ball. I just, I just knew it. And like as soon as, you know, they basically mentioned the Lakers to me, I'm like, these guys are going to get Lonzo Ball. So at that lottery, they got the number two pick. Magic is beaming, and um, I'm in this this scrum around Magic. There must have been like 30 of us. And I'm holding my arms as high as I can to shoot video with my phone. And for like, you know, Magic's talking for like 12 minutes. So my arms are just dead. And so at the end, Magic looks at me. And I've only interviewed Magic maybe once before this. And that was like back in 2003 about – it was about like a feature I was doing on Byron Scott. So there's no way Magic could remember who I was even if I told him back then I was from Michigan State and everything. But Magic looks at me at the end, and he says, man, you're too short to hold your arms all the way up there. Come on over here. And then he gives me this big, like, dap and a hug. And I was like, (laughs) what is going – like, Magic can't remember me. But maybe Magic seen me on TV and, like, you know, because I will always talk about Michigan State and the Spartans. So I'm assuming he probably saw me on ESPN at some point talking about Michigan State. But at that point, that's when I said – all right, I'm moving to LA and I'm going to cover Magic and I'm going to cover the Lakers. And then fast forward to the night Magic steps down, literally maybe like 10, I'm telling you like five minutes before Magic walked through the double doors in front of the Lakers locker room and then basically made his stunning announcement. I was talking to Magic and I said, Magic, 
where were you? I went to the Final Four and I was looking for you, you know, in Minneapolis because <laughs> the Spartans were just there. And Magic said, oh, you know what? Uh, a meeting came up and I couldn't get out of it on Saturday and I had to go. And I'm thinking, what meeting is more important than Michigan State in the <laughs> Final Four to Magic Johnson? And as we would find out, yeah. not only did he step down, but that Saturday, uh, Woj had reported that he and Rob Palenka met with LeBron James and Rich Paul. And so, so uh, and I remember I, I talked to Tom Izzo uh, a few weeks later after that, and I told Tom this story, and Tom said, you know, that's the first Final Four Magic missed that we made. And, mm. and uh, you know, Tom Izzo's been to how many, a billion Final Fours? And he's like, yeah, I should have known something was up. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's um, something. That is, that is something. Um, so, Ohm, we, we now over the last few days with the, with everything came up on first take magic says Rob Palenka backstabbed him. Palenka says that isn't true. Uh, what is the real story? Um, well, I, I mean, I think, you know, I do think there was friction between the two. Um, we have been hearing like stuff, in the background that that about the same thing that Rob Palenka had been, you know, perhaps saying these things like, you know, going to the, the facility, knowing magic wasn't there and saying, Hey, where's magic, you know, asking people where's magic. He's not here. Um, and so, you know, it was, it was a hard thing to chase down, but I think like people were, were telling magic and informing magic. A lot, there's a lot of people that um, didn't like Rob, in, in the NBA, whether it be former agents or executives and things like that, and people Magic had known for a long time. And so I think Magic was finally getting wind of that. But I don't think, as Magic says in first take, that that was, you know, the reason why he stepped down. It was a big reason, I think. But I think ultimately it was because Magic couldn't do the job the way he wanted to do it. And so as Magic explained um, finally in detail on first take, Basically, he was saying that, um, you know, he wanted to fire Luke Walton, which he had said the night he stepped down. He did not want his relationship to, to really be damaged with, with Jeannie Buss, who had a great relationship with Luke. But what Magic threw into the picture in first take that wasn't there before was that he threw another name, which was Tim Harris, who is the president of the business operations side and the Lakers alternate governor. And Tim is a pretty pretty sharp guy. He's the guy who's responsible for, I believe, what at the time was the longest deal between a team and a you know um, cable network, um, basically a, sta- a, t- a station to hold their rights in Spectrum Sportsnet. I think it was like 20 years or something like that. And he also was responsible for the ESPN LA radio deal with the Lakers as well. So he's brought in uh, you know a lot of business to the Lakers, and I think he's had a long time relationship knowing the bus family and so he's a trusted advisor uh you know the 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 bus family trusts his word but you know he did not want to fire luke according to magic and so magic thought that he was going to have the final say on basketball decisions before going to genie bus who really had the final final say and so when he realized that you know tim harris was in the room and all these other voices magic just said I can't do the job the way I want to do it. And then I also got this guy, Rob Palenka, who I believe is backstabbing me. So he bailed. You, you know, you talk about those other voices. Like we heard, we keep hearing like Linda Rambis has, has influence now and has Jeannie Buss's ear. I mean, how much influence do the 
I mean, you talked about Tim Harris's influence, but how much influence do some of these other voices have, you know, as far as the ultimate decision-making goes? I think it's significant. I think like Linda Rambis has had an influence on Jeannie Buss for decades. They've known each other for four decades. They've been best friends, as I described, BFFFFFF forever uh, for a long time. And so, you know, I think she, when when Magic dropped his bombshell on the franchise on, on April 9th, Jeannie surrounded herself, and, and smartly, I think, by, by, you know, her most trusted advisors. I think the problem that a lot of people had was that they thought Jeannie Buss would eventually hire a replacement for Magic Johnson, and I never thought she was going to do that. I thought she was just going to kind of stick. If she was going to stick with Rob Palenka, then she was going to stick with everybody. And then she did. She did that. And I think what now what people are saying is, is it's a very collaborative effort at the Lakers now where it's the decision-making is kind of the top four is Jeannie. And then after that, you've got Rob, Linda Rambis, and Kurt Rambis kind of all talking through decisions with the, you know, with the basketball staff in mind, Jesse Buss, Joey Buss, um, Ryan West, uh, you've got Tim Harris in there. And so you got you got some other people in there, but it's a very collaborative effort with the, uh, the previous four that I said kind of at the top. But we all know that there are three sides to every story. And, and in this case, it's, you know, Rob Lincoln's side, Magic's side, and the truth. So are we ever going to know, are we ever going to know the truth? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, you know, it's probably somewhere in between everything, but I don't think Magic is lying. Um, I think Magic is telling his side of the story, and I think the majority of his side of the story is true. I know Rob said yesterday it's not true. He denied he denied the allegations, but, um, you know, it could just be semantics too, right? Like, I think but what what people are saying is, well, you know, look, if Magic really wasn't there, and if Rob's asking people where's Magic, because Magic's Rob's boss, well, you know, if your boss is the, if you're looking for your boss and your boss is not there and you're asking people, I mean, that part I think was was somewhat true. So, right. Um, but you can spin it like I think in different ways of how it was asked, and you know, look, if your boss isn't around all the time and you're looking to make moves and decisions, but but you know, Magic said as he told Jeannie Buss before he took the job, I've got a lot of other businesses and you know I'm not going to be there every day. I think, you know, what the fault can lie in is on both of those two for thinking that maybe he could do that job in that manner, that magic, that job required a little more day-to-day detail. Yes, you could have your lieutenants like Rob be there on a day-to-day basis, but the problem is that Rob and magic did not have an existing relationship uh, prior to that. Sure, I'm I'm sure they saw each other all the time because, you know, uh, Rob is Kobe's agent, but like, I don't think they had the type of relationship where they were going to be working that closely. And the first year, all indications were that it was going good, that they ta- they used to talk glowingly about how they would talk to each other so much on the phone that their wives started to get a little jealous because they were always watching basketball at night, talking to each other on the phone, talking about what they were seeing, and then waking up and talking to each other first thing in the morning at like 6 a.m. And then doing that and then going to the office and then being around each other all the time. But at some point, things turned in last season, um, and it certainly got a little colder between the two. So everything should be cool with Frank Vogel and Jason Kidd then, huh? What's that? So then everything should be cool with Frank Vogel and Jason Kidd. Man, look, last past season was pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, but, like, 
this coming season certainly has the potential to maybe top that or equal that, you know, because it's just, you know, we're going to have LeBron again. We're not going to have the Magic dynamic, which certainly, you know, losing Magic, Magic brought a, like a glamour and glitz and a charisma every time he talked. And he didn't talk a lot last season. I mean, last season, I mean, I was working on this one story for a while and I needed Magic. I mean, I went weeks without seeing Magic. And I'm not saying Magic wasn't at the games. It was just hard. To, it was hard to get in front of him. Um, you know, Magic did have a lot going on. He was always, like, speaking in certain um, certain places around the country um, and things like that. And so, like, I, I, it took me a while to see Magic. But now with Magic out of the picture, you know, you still have now, you have a new element in there, which is you have a new head coach who has to develop a relationship with LeBron James. So that's a lot of that is the same story that we were dealing with last year with Luke Walton. But now you have uh, Jason Kidd on the bench, who some people think is going to be like a potential replacement or successor. So that enters a whole new dynamic because, you know, last year there were times when we would look and we would see is LeBron talking to Luke, um, you know, or is he just communicating with the assistants and things like that. Now the attention on that is going to be like even 10 times that you're going to be looking to see, you know, what exactly are the young players, how are they developing with Jason Kidd, the relationship of LeBron James as well. LeBron and Jason were teammates in Team USA. And so, you know, a guy that was supposed to be considered for a head coaching job now is the number one assistant. Uh, you know, everybody's just going to be looking for things there to see, um, you know, if there's going to be drama there. And then, of course, you have, the young guys, again, coming back, how are they going to deal with everything? They had a tough season last year where, like, you know, the chemistry in the locker room was horrible after, you know, following the Anthony Davis trade rumors. And so now you're wondering how is this all going to be repaired? Who's going to be the next star that comes in in free agency? How that guy going to – is if they do get a max free agent, how is that guy going to fit with LeBron James and the younger kids? So you've got all that set up for this season, and the season hasn't even started yet. You you talk about the free agency situation, which I think is is really the most fascinating one. When when people talk about free agents going to the Knicks or elsewhere, a lot of times you can roll your eyes and say, yeah, we, we know it's a major market, but that doesn't mean they're automatically getting them. You hear a name associated with the Lakers, it typically means there's a very good chance they're going to be a Laker. How does how does all this chaos then impact uh, free agency? It's a great question. I asked Rob that yesterday in the press conference because I said, Rob, um, Magic said a lot of things about you. And so, you know, Magic was supposed to be the closer in these free agent meetings. Mm-hmm. And what, what do you worry that free agents will look and see what Magic said and judge you off of that? And he said, he must have said the word work, which is the new mantra for Rob. Like, we just got to put our heads down and just work and just keep working and work. And so he just kept saying that over and over again. And I noticed that he had said that the other night when we first got him on a conference call when the Lakers moved from 11 to 4 in the lottery. And so that's kind of like his thing where he's just going to keep saying work, 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 work. And he said all the right things. But, you know, you got to wonder if agents and players are going to look and see what exactly is going on, uh, what, their relation, what their agent's relationship is with Rob, and Kurt Rambis, Linda Rambis and Jeannie Buss. And, you know, do they believe that there's stability now moving forward with the Lakers or if it's just going to be a circus, even more of a circus? And the fact of the matter is when Magic stepped down on April 9th, this 
franchise got sent into like utter chaos and it's been like that now for like a month maybe things now will finally stabilize because i can't imagine the magic rob thing now is kind of behind us i'm sure there's going to be some more drama around the corner at some point for the lakers there always is but i can't imagine anything being more chaotic and crazier than this last day um, before free agency starts. There should be some stability because we know now that Rob's a the guy. They're not going to hire another president of basketball operations, and it's going to be Rob, Jeannie, Kurt, and, and uh, Linda Rambis kind of like at the top all kind of consulting each other and, and having a collective effort as far as decision-making. Um, who's going to be the on, – on opening day, who's going to be the, the second best player on the Lakers? Um. I'm going to say it's going to be either somebody like Kyrie Irving or perhaps like Chris Middleton. It's going to be something like that. I think if they strike out, you know, with the top guys and I throw Kyrie in that mix, let's say Kyrie stays in the New York, you know, decides to go in the New York area, whether it's the Nets or the Knicks. um, I don't know who like, you know, Lakers might, Lakers might strike out. So maybe they'll go, you know, they'll have to, go after somebody like a, a second tier guy like Chris Middleton. I'm sure they would love to get their, you know, you know, trade for Anthony Davis or even if it's like Bradley Beal or something like that. I'm not quite sure. Uh, there's 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 too many things going on with the other teams that, you know, like with Anthony Davis, you have Dave, you have David Griffin in charge now. He's going to go and get the best possible package. Um, and I, I maybe I'm just in my personal opinion, I just don't really see Anthony Davis being traded to the Lakers. Um, like maybe Anthony Davis will end up a Lakers, a free agent, but, uh, I don't know. I just think maybe worst, you know, worst case scenario is the Lakers end up with a, with a second tier free agent guy like Chris Middleton, who would be a pretty good fit. It's just that I, I don't, don't know if I'd want to invest a max contract long-term, uh, especially with an aging LeBron James as well. Sure. Uh, you well, you just said it, LeBron James getting older, but you've had the chance to to be around him quite a bit. Um, do you have a story uh, about LeBron James? Maybe something revealing that the people just don't know or don't see from the outside being around him so much. Um, you know, I think LeBron LeBron can manage and handle the chaos around him pretty well. I think he uh, he. He knows, like, you know, how big the media scrum is around him and the attention. Like yesterday, you know, like, we're at the press conference and LeBron stood in the back, kind of watched the whole thing, and then kind of lingered around after a while and just, you know, shot the basketball around by himself. And he knew the cameras were there and everything like that. And so it was almost like LeBron just kind of missed everything a little bit, missed the attention, because this is the first time he's – been out of the playoffs in forever and mm. so you know i think lebron um i think lebron kind of likes likes the attention a little bit and everything um you know and i think he's he's re- very very savvy i mean um i gotta say like the you know for the most part he knows what he's saying and everything is measured um but like i think the one night which was really cool to kind of see was the night that he um surpassed michael and and when he held his press conference or when he held his little talk with reporters at his locker afterwards, he let his guard down, which I thought was really, really cool to see. But LeBron became like 
13-year-old LeBron, where he was talking about how much he idolized Michael. And I always kind of knew, you know, he idolized Michael. And I always kind of thought LeBron was probably hurt a little bit that Michael is kind of, you know, is a little cold to him or Michael doesn't go out of his way to kind of like say great things about LeBron, you know. But you got a glimpse to see how much he really grew up loving Michael Jordan, where he said Michael meant everything to him and his friends growing up in Akron. Um, and then he went into detail about, I wanted to do everything like Michael and dress like Michael down to, you know, he had the tights underneath his shorts coming out. He had basically the little red band around his like elbow forearm area. You know, I wanted that. I wanted to do that. Like he, he talked about a, car, a morning Saturday morning cartoon that Michael was in with Wayne Gretzky you know what I mean? It was like he took you back to basically growing up then in Akron. And I remember thinking, like, this is really cool because LeBron has just let his guard down and let us all in to, like, childhood LeBron growing up and what Michael meant to him. And he started to get emotional. And I thought it, it's always kind of cool to see, like, a superstar like that who is so polished um, and so measured with everything he does that he kind of gave us a glimpse of just, like, into childhood LeBron. That was a really cool moment. Yeah, that's how I felt earlier when you were talking about Isola. Similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Isola, Isola is, a, you know, listen, if I had said something about Isola, I would never hear the end of it. Oh, I know it. And you, and you know that. There. Oh, I know it. Um, <laughs> since this is the, the Catch and Shoot podcast, we always ask our guests, Game 7, Catch and Shoot, who do you want taking your shot? And since, and we kind of tailor it to, depending on who the guest is, so it can be, for you, let's go with a player that you've covered, that you've been around day to day. Who do you want taking that shot? Or you can go with a media member that you'd want taking a big shot. Oh, hmm. Give me the option. Um, wow. Somebody I've covered or a media member. Um, you know what? I'd, I'll, that's a really tough one, actually. Um, I'd have to go with, I'd have to go with Magic, as far as people I covered. Um, you know, I've seen some people hit some big time shots. Uh, I mean, I would my Michigan State bias would also say Steve Smith, because I've seen Steve Smith hit some really big shots. Mm -hmm. I thought you were going to say um, Mo Pete. I thought you were going to say. Yeah. Mo Pete. I thought he was going to say Sean Respert. Yeah. Ooh, oh, oh, Sean Respert was was uh, the one of the best shooters I ever saw live because Sean Respert and I are the same age. And so Sean Ressler was amazing in college. Unbelievable. No doubt. Uh, and, I would, and I would say, look, I'll throw my guy Allen Houston in there because uh, he hit an unforgettable shot that I got to cover live, which was the running jumper against the Miami Heat um, mm -hmm. to win game five. So, um, but, yeah, I would probably – Steve Smith. I wouldn't sleep on my guy Steve Smith. Steve, Steve Smith was clutch. Um, we appreciate it. This was great. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thank you. I think we're about to go off the rails. You know, there's nothing I can do about the sirens in New York City. I, I don't, I don't live in a <laughs> in a soundproof apartment. But there's no real need for the actual transition to go from the Lakers to an off the rails segment, since you, you can't get any more off the rails than than the Lakers. But this is true. But the, but there is another catch and shoot podcast out there. So. <laughs> So we so this has uh, come to our attention. Maybe that's what uh, maybe the sirens have caught this gentleman who is uh, tried to take our 
our name here, Catch and Shoot. So when you type in Catch and Shoot into iTunes, and that's how it's the best way to find us, just type in Catch and Shoot, and then you'll see our faces looking like a bit cartoonish. I kind of, I like our logo. And there's another one, Catch and Shoot. The gentleman's name is Nate Diamond, and they uh, and they put out their first episode. Now, look, I'm not one to fight, but I mean, what what are we gonna what are we gonna do about this? Uh, Noah, first of all, you you call him a gentleman. It, it, they they advertise themselves as being kids that have started a, a podcast with a take on sports that they know more than than the rest of us. Mm, I don't I, think they're kids because the way they write it, it's we comma a bunch of kids comma. And the kids don't even use that many commas in a sentence. I, I, I listened. No, I listened to this thing. I listened to. Oh, you uh, did. The uh, Bizarro catch and shoot. They're kids. <laughs> They're kids. Really? So yes, yes. Like like, um, like prepubescent kids. I think I think uh, pubescent kids. I think would be more fair. I don't know. There's like a handful in a room. They've got better audio equipment than we do. Um, <laughs> that I have no doubt. And. Uh, no, they're they they've got this whole thing figured out. They they were given takes on the NBA draft. I, you know, I was thinking that you know, forget Bruce getting replaced. I I was thinking I'm going to get replaced on this podcast when I heard Nate Diamond. I'm like Noah's going to hear this guy, and I'm done. I'm done. Um, can I, I don't know how to reach out to this guy because I went on Twitter and and found him, but there's no followers. It's very it is it's very bizarre. I I want I want to be a guest. Yeah, maybe we need to just search middle schools and see if we can come across his i don't even know if we're allowed to use this kid's name as a minor that's pretty creepy just searching (laughs) middle searching middle schools for this kid (laughs) just to tell him hey man cut it out we already got catching meet meet him on the playground during recess knock his so knock his his peanut butter and jelly out of his hand so hey if you uh if you're listening to us because you went for nate diamond's catch and shoot (laughs) podcast i hope you've enjoyed this one I think it's been pretty good. Oh boy, but you definitely don't know him, right? This is I, you, you have you haven't you're not doing this in all the spare time you have. This isn't uh, a separate. Let me adventure. start a second catch and shoot podcast. Yeah. No, no, I don't know this guy. Um, all right, so also, so all right, so it's it's Marissa's birthday on Wednesday, and May is just so my dad's birthday is April thirtieth. My mom's birthday is May 9th. This year they both turned seventy. Then we have Mother's Day, so we've got. That and then today, as we record Tuesday, is Marissa's brother's birthday, and then tomorrow, the twenty second, is Marissa's birthday. Then the twenty fourth is Marissa's father's birthday. It May is just—it's overwhelming with celebrations. How do you manage and, that? Um, th- usually fine, but this year I'm I'm very I'm very behind. I need to figure out today what I'm doing for Marissa's birthday. I know we're going to go out to dinner. I haven't gotten her anything yet. But usually we don't get each other anything. We just take each other to dinner. And, um, but I got to make sure that, I got to make sure that Eden makes, makes a card. I got to go get a card. Then you got to, I always get a, um, I oftentimes get a blank card because I feel like I can write something more meaningful in there than what Hallmark or any of the other cards can write. Cocky, but I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 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 I, I, yeah, not cocky. I think, uh, yeah, confident. No, I, I, confident. Yeah, no, no. I, it was. I was uh, just joking with you. But our our producer Bruce says that uh, that you buy cards out of the ten pack because you're going to use all of them. So, have you used that method before? Buying in bulk. 
No, what am I, barbarian? Bulk, bulk birthday cards. Come on. Well, just all seasons, maybe. Maybe there's... Uh, I, I've known people who have done that, like just bought a bunch of cards and they just had a drawer so they could never forget. Like, oh, so-and-so's birthday's tomorrow. Awesome. I'm good to no, go. No. Meanwhile, can I can I just throw one thing out at you before we before who we has that going? many stamps? Yeah, what do you have? So uh, Mother's Day, we had talked about being this whole occasion that you know was wild. I, I talked about it on a previous podcast. We end up going to this soccer game and out to dinner and doing all these things. And like, I usually really do, despite what I say on here, like really try to make things special for my wife. She's an amazing person. She really is. I mean. People that know her always tell me how like lucky I am and how how somehow I fell into this and I don't deserve her. Like almost push it way too far. Yeah, but I still. mean, you 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 deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like people start out by saying, "Hey, but you are so lucky." Do you realize? And then it starts to get like awkward by how much. But anyway, the point is, I do try to make things special for her. She's an amazing person, and I love her to death. She just won a Peabody Award for some of her work. She's on, on so many levels. She's incredible. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, I didn't have time to do the Mother's Day card. I had thought all the things that I wanted to say, but didn't have time to write it. She caught me writing it in no. the bathroom. No way. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to hide it. Like I tried to put it behind like a like a towel, and then I came out of the bathroom. What? She... Yeah, this has been a sore subject in my house for the last couple wait, of weeks. Wait, wait, so... wait, were you standing up at the sink, or were you actually on the toilet? Uh, Well, let's say on the toilet. Let's say on the toilet. Oh, my um, God. But listen, I do some of my best thinking then, apparently some of my best writing. And as of this recording, as of this recording, she still has not opened the card yet. So... <laughs> And rightfully so, That's... probably. Rightfully so. Is that off the rails? <sighs> You're off your rocker. That's for sure. Um, by the way, uh, producer Bruce and producer Scott both say that I've outkicked my coverage. And, and Bruce says that I'm an outkicked his coverage Hall of Famer. So uh, I'll point that out. Yeah, uh, we, we do want to thank. We do want to thank. No, yes, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. For you. Uh, we do want to thank. Not only our wives, who are wonderful people. Happy birthday to Marissa. But, of course, producers Bruce Bernstein, Scott Turkin, uh, as well as the rest of the Pure Hoops media team and uh, all the people running these unbelievable podcasts. And check out the website, too, purehoopsmedia.com. Some great stuff there. And, uh, Noah, anyone you want to thank from the Pure Hoops family? Yeah, I want to thank our, our legal team for getting after the, the Bizarro Catch and Shoot podcast. Um, I know I know it's going to cost a lot, but it would be money well spent. Thanks for being right on that, guys. Noah, as always, thank you, buddy. All right, Bob, I'll talk to you next week. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.